Happy Sunday, family. Welcome to 99. We're so glad that you're here with us once again. And so we're going to jump right into the teaching. We are concluding our collection, Holy Ghost, as we've been diving deeper into the person of the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about who he is, what it means to walk with him and fellowship with him. We've talked about some of the gifts like tongues and prophecy. Last week, we covered the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And this week, we're finishing our collection by talking about another expression of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to jump right into it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. This is what Paul writes, and this is what we're going to focus on this week. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you here today. God, what a journey it's been just diving deeper into who you are. And today, as we conclude our collection, talking about this beautiful expression, these beautiful gifts that you give to the body so that we can reach maturity and experience fullness, I pray that you would open up our hearts, that we would discover more of who you are, and we would discover who we are in you, the way that you've uniquely designed each of us. We love you. We welcome you here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first thing we have to understand is Ephesians is like the book on the nature and the purposes of the church. It's the spiritual template for the church throughout all the ages. One of my favorite writers and theologians, Eugene Peterson, this is what he says about Ephesians. Ephesians is an inside look at what is beneath and behind and within the church that we do see wherever and whenever it becomes visible. It provides our best access to what is involved in the formation of church, not so much the way that church appears in our towns and cities, cities, but the essence that is behind the appearances, God's will, Christ's presence, and the Holy Spirit's work. In other words, if we want to understand how to be the church that God calls us to be, we should pay close attention to Ephesians. And I don't just mean the church as in 99 or the local church, but I also mean it in its broadest sense. If we want to understand how to be the people of God in our world, we need to take a close look at Ephesians. Now, in this chapter, Ephesians 4, this is the passage containing what's most commonly known as the fivefold gifts or the fivefold ministry. 
Now, I think at first glance, when most of us read this passage, we immediately think of the office of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. We think, oh, this only applies to those in full-time ministry, the pastor Mickey's, the evangelist Reinhard Bonkies, the teacher John Piper's. But we have to understand the word for ministry in this context, in the New Testament, whenever you see the word ministry, the word that they use is diakonia, which simply means service, service to God and service to others. And so ministry is the birthright of the entire body of Christ, including all of God's people and not something limited just to the clergy. Every believer is called to full-time ministry. That's right. You heard it here. You are called to full-time ministry. It's not just the pastors. It's not just the elders or the staff. Every single believer is called to full-time ministry. It just may not be in the church. You might be called to be a full-time minister at Google, at Equinox, in your family, in your business, in your relationships, or your friend group. In fact, some of you would be accepting a lesser calling of over your lives by working for the church because your destiny is in the marketplace or it's somewhere else. And so in other words, your ministry at home, your ministry at work, wherever God has called you to be is just as important as my ministry here at 99. And for most of you, your ministry actually begins the moment you step outside of the church. And so I want us to understand every single one of us are called to full-time ministry. And so these five-fold gifts that we read about here in Ephesians 4 aren't just for those who are working full-time in the church. They're important for every single believer. And my hope today in exploring the five-fold gifts is that it would help you understand the expression of your personal ministry to the local church, to your work, to your household, and to the world. And knowing which of these five-fold gifts you have a grace for will help you understand what strengths, what passions, and what expression of Jesus' heart you bring to the church and to the world. And so the goal for today is to help you understand the expression of your ministry. But I also want to cast a vision for the type of church we want to be here at 99. So you ready for that? Y'all excited for that? All right, let's jump right in. I think before we begin, we need to make a distinction between function and title. And so when we're talking about the fivefold gifts today, we're talking about the function of each gift, but not necessarily the title, meaning you may function as a prophet, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're a prophet by title. You may function as a pastor or a shepherd, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're a pastor by title. And so don't go changing your Facebook name after today's teaching to Pastor Evangelist Isaac Hong or Apostolic Prophetess Tani Wong after this. I've seen communities online that do this, and we will not be one of them. I am committed to it, okay? And so there's a difference between function and title. Today, we're going to talk about the function of these gifts of the fivefold ministry. Now, the fivefold ministry is the way which Jesus extends his own ministry through the church. In other words, the ministry that Jesus began when he was here on earth is continued through the church, through apostleship, through the prophetic, through evangelism, through teaching, and through the pastoral. 
See, we have to understand Jesus was the expression, the perfect expression of the fivefold gifts, of the fivefold ministry. Jesus was the perfect expression of apostle sent by the Father to fulfill his mission and birth the movement of the church. Jesus was the perfect expression of prophet revealed as the word of God and calling people to repentance and to a new reality in the kingdom. Jesus was the perfect expression of evangelist offering good news to every person, community, and an invitation to new life. Jesus was the perfect expression of shepherd or pastor, welcoming all to the family of God and leading, protecting, and caring for them as his own. And Jesus was the perfect expression of teacher, teaching humanity a new way of living, sharing the true knowledge of God, and unpacking the mystery of who he is. And so when we're talking about the fivefold ministry, we're talking about continuing the ministry of Jesus that he started while he was on earth and continuing it today. And so the question we have to ask, cool, okay, we're continuing the ministry of Jesus through these fivefold expressions, but why are the fivefold gifts so important? I want to look back on verse 11, and Paul's writing, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith. Now, the Greek word for equip or built up here is katarizo. I I think I pronounced that right. And those two definitions, to equip and to build up, those are only two possible translations of the word. The word can also mean to mend what has been broken, to perfectly join together, to put in order, to adjust, to strengthen, to perfect or complete, to make one what one ought to be. Meaning when we're able to tap into the fivefold gifts The church is not only built up, it's not only equipped, but the church is mended. The church is perfectly joined together. The church is put in order. The church is strengthened. The church is perfected and completed. The church becomes what it was always meant to be. Now, if we continue in the passage, Paul goes on to say, and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is huge. What Paul is saying is if we want to see the church become mature, if we want to see the church reach the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, we have to tap into each of the fivefold gifts and we have to treat it very seriously. The church's maturity, the church's fullness is at stake If we don't take this passage seriously. Now, the problem is, at least in the Western church out here in America, there is a great imbalance amongst the fivefold gifts. And it's sad that almost all churches or most churches in the West only operate with two or maybe three of the fivefold functions of Jesus. Now, just quick trivia. Can you guess? Which of the two of the fivefold gifts that the church in the West primarily operate in? For those of you who said shepherding 
and teaching or pastor and teacher, you're absolutely correct. We're so good at welcome home, come and find belonging. How can we take care of you? We're so good at new teaching series alert, new collection alert, no more information. Here's a translation in Greek and Hebrew and the NIV, ESV, NKAGV and the MSG. We're so good at teaching. We're so good at shepherding and pastoring. But we neglect the other parts of the fivefold ministry. And there's an imbalance, an asymmetry in the body. We halt our maturity. We, we cease to experience the fullness of Christ that Jesus promised us. Now imagine if only 40% of our vital organs were functioning. Our body would shut down. We would die. And the problem is that we are only functioning at 40, maybe 60% capacity here in the local church because we refuse to acknowledge or make, sp- make space to express the fullness of the fivefold ministry. And the problem is imbalanced churches always end up attracting people who are like-minded. And so teaching-focused churches attract all the intellectuals. Prophetic-focused churches attract all the wild charismatics. Whoa, right? They're they're all the wild ones. Evangelistic-focused churches attract people who are all about outreach, about reaching their city. And what happens is we miss out on the fullness that Jesus promised us as the people of God. We miss out on the maturity that takes place when we make space for all of the fivefold gifts. Alan Hirsch, who I'm going to reference a lot in this teaching, he writes a fantastic book about the the fivefold ministry called 5Q. I'll plug it later, but he says this, the church always needs to experience itself as sent, like the apostle, the prime agent to God's ongoing mission in the world. The church should always attend to God and his concerns, the prophet, should always share the story and invite people into living relationship, the evangelist, should always maintain and develop healthy community, the shepherd or the pastor, should always be rich in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding the teacher. All are needed in every time and in every place. And so if the church lacks a vision for expansion, for the mission, it's probably because the apostolic function is missing. If there's a thoughtlessness or a lack of wisdom, it's probably because the teaching function is missing. If there's a lack of concern for prayer, holiness, and justice, it's probably because the prophetic function is missing. We need balance and we need symmetry in the body to experience fullness and maturity in Christ. And so we need to help people discover their ministry expression. And we need to make space for all the functions of the fivefold. And so we are going to dive into each of the fivefold gifts. And my, my hope and my goal in this teaching is that you would start to see traces of, oh, maybe that's a little bit of my expression. Later, we're going to plug an assessment that you could take to help you. We're going to give you resources to figure out. But we want you to discover what is your expression in your personal ministry. What do you bring to the body? What do you bring to the world? And so we're going to dive into each of these and maybe you'll see glimpses of yourself. And, you know, all of us tap into all of these, but there's grace for specific ones in our lives. And so I hope that you get clarity on this. And so we're going to jump right in. The first one that we're going to look at is apostle. Now, apostles, they extend the gospel. 
They are the sent ones. They ensure that the faith is transmitted from one context to another, from one generation to the next. And they're the most responsible for the overall extension of Christianity as a whole, primarily through direct mission or church planning. And so these apostles, they're always thinking about the future. They're thinking about what's next. They're establishing the church in new contexts. They're developing leaders. They're networking translocally, connecting with all the other leaders in the local region and figuring out how do we mobilize to bring this grander vision of the gospel into our context, into our reality. They're able to see the big picture purpose. And they're what we call the guardians of the culture or the DNA. They have that bird's eye view, and they're able to steer movements and churches in specific directions. They're the ones that carry that pioneering spirit, and they have a natural capacity and a hunger for adventure. They tend to be less risk-averse. And they live to push innovation and creativity, extending faith into new ground, right? They're the ones that are always saying, God is doing a new thing. This is what he's doing. Let's catch up to that vision. And these are the ones that actually tend to favor the entrepreneurial edges of the church. And overall, the apostles are the ones that spark, mobilize, and sustain movements. When we see the early church why was it led primarily by the, the apostles, the apostolic? Because they were birthing a new movement. They were sparking the movement of the early church. They were mobilizing and they were sustaining that movement going forward. When we see great movements of faith throughout history, they were usually sparked by the apostles. And so the apostles are church planners. They're the missional leaders. They're the entrepreneurs Come on, some of you have an apostolic lean because you have that entrepreneur spirit. They're the organizational leaders. They're the networkers. They're the pastors of the pastors. You know, when I think of the apostles, and I don't know if this is accurate, this is me just guessing, but I think of someone like Jay, right, who's launching Zion, who's launching a new platform, which is not just a product, it's essentially a new movement, a new expression of church, trying to figure out how do we be the body in the workplace. It's taking this gospel that's age old and transplanting it in a new context, that pioneering, that adventurous spirit, I think of people like Isaac, who's starting his own podcast, Saints of SF. He's expanding the gospel into new territory, pioneering new ground, talking about faith in a new context. Now, churches with the strong apostolic bias tend to break new ground. They're constantly pushing the bounds of creativity and innovation in ministry and forging ahead into new territory. And in these communities, spirituality tends to be experienced as something super dynamic and adventurous and innovative. But however, there's always like a dark side, right? A flip side. When the apostolic is dominant to the exclusion of all the other types, the organization will be task-driven, it'll be demanding, and it'll be alienating. It'll move too fast and for most without the thought of moving together. You know, 
I, I was in an apostolic, a heavy apostolic setting. And I remember every month there is something new. There's, there's always something next. There's always something new that we're moving on towards. And after a while, it gets exhausting because we forget about, okay, God just established this, but we're already moving on to the next thing. And so when the apostolic is dominant to the detriment of the other types, you're always moving, but you're moving too fast for the people. There's always something new, always something next, super task-driven and demanding. And so that's the apostle. Now the prophet, prophets know God's will. Their concern, their primary concern is listening to God, seeing what he sees and feeling what he feels. Their primary concern is what is God doing? What is God saying? And they call people to attend to the voice of God. When you're around a prophet, someone with a prophetic function, you're inspired to listen and incline your ear to the voice of God. Now, these prophets, they speak and act on God's behalf. They call people to faithfulness and obedience. And this is a huge one. They call people to pursue justice. Prophetic people are justice-oriented. They challenge the dominant assumptions we inherit from the culture. They question the status quo. And they're agents of change and reform in the church and in society. They call people to repentance. And so they're really good at at showing what is God's will and where are the people at and what is this gap in between that we need to get rid of so that we can move into the will of God for right now. They're what's known as the heart revealers of the church, revealing the heart of God for the community. And most of the times, the prophets fuel passion in the hearts of the people. When you're around a prophet, your heart starts to light up. You get inspired. You get pumped up. And you're just inspired with the zeal and this passion to go for Jesus. Uh, outside the church, these prophets, they're, they're the agents for broad cultural change and social justice. I don't know if Martin Luther King Jr. was a prophet, but I would consider him with the prophetic leaning. Why? Because he was an agent for broad cultural change. He was an agent for social justice. And so this is who the prophets are. The prophets are the worship leaders in A lot of worship leaders have that prophetic lean. Um, They're the artists in the church. They're the intercessors. They're the activists. Listen, some of you, you are a social justice activist at your core, at your nature. You don't understand how prophetic that is. It's calling all that is unjust and wrong in the world into order. That's the prophetic lean. It's the mystics, the ones who are all about pursuing spirituality and disconnecting from all the distractions of the world to make space for the voice of God. When I think about the prophets, man, I think of Dan, right? Dan is always listening for the voice of God. When he starts sharing, something inside you lights up and you're like, man, I need passion for Jesus. I'm inspired with more zeal for God. And Dan is always listening for that voice of God and sharing the heart of God with people. Now, a quick disclaimer about the prophetic, this can actually be the loneliest of all the vocations, as those with prophetic expression sometimes are misunderstood as being intense or volatile or divisive because they're always saying, this is what God wants, repent, come on, align your heart to what God is doing. And this is why in the New Testament, prophets were put under significant restriction and accountability, right? Their words always had to be measured up against the congregation and against the greater body. 
And so there is that disclaimer with the prophetic, with those who are less mature with that leaning. Now, churches with a strong prophetic bias, they tend to speak truth to those in power and do well at justice-oriented ministry. In these churches, spirituality is equated with care for the poor, the marginalized, and the outsider. These churches will also call forth a passionate response to God in worship and in prayer. And they will also engage in spiritual warfare and discernment of the spirits. They're always discerning of the times of what in culture and society and our right now is of God and is not. However, when the prophetic is overdominant at the de- to the detriment of the other types, the community can be outright, these are not my words, these are Alan Hirsch's words, outright wacky, overcritical, demanding, moralistic, and judgmental. Now, I've been part of groups, friend groups, and communities where it's all about listening for the voice of God. But the the danger here is you start to neglect the voice of the people. Have you ever heard that term, you're so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good? It's like your ears always inclined to the heavens, but you're not listening to the people around you. You're not listening to the voice of God found in your peers and your brothers and sisters and your congregants. And so there is that danger of becoming overly prophetic to the detriment of the other expressions of the fivefold ministry. So that is the prophet, the evangelist. Now, evangelists recruit. These are the infectious communicators of the gospel message. They recruit others to the cause of Christ. They're the ones who are able to get significant buy-in from their hearers. Like every time they talk, there's this buy-in. There's this mobilization that happens and people are just drawn towards the cause of Christ. These are the persuasive, infectious people with appealing personalities. They're the bright ones. They're the attractive ones. I'm not talking physically. There's just some attractive quality about them that just just draws you to them. They're the great social connectors, and they have a special gift for bringing the world together. They're the mediators between God and people, and so they're sharing the good news of the gospel, trying to connect people to God, but they're also mediators between people and people. They're great agents for unity and bringing people together and establishing that togetherness. They challenge believers to engage the wider mission. They're the ones that grow the church. They're the ones that get people to come to church and fill those seats. They're the ones that get people to stay because there's this attractive quality of the gospel that they present to people. And these evangelists, they have the affinity for applying the gospel to people's unique experiences and circumstances. They have the gift of translating the gospel to the prevailing culture. They're champions of cultural relevance. They keep us connected to the outside world. You know, sometimes you feel like the church is so disconnected from culture and right now it feels like we're stuck in the 1900s, the 1800s, or the early church days. The evangelists are the ones that keep us connected to our right now, to our culture, to the outside world. They're the positive, good news people. And I love this definition. They maintain a positive, life-affirming vibe. In the community. And they're the storytellers. They're the storytellers of the gospel in a culturally relevant way. They're the storytellers of our stories of God breakthroughs in such a meaningful way. The evangelists are the entrepreneurs, they're the marketers, they're the recruiters. 
They're the motivators. They're the communicators. They're the storytellers, the writers. And I love this. They're the designers. You know, in um, maybe even just like a, a few decades ago, the primary way the gospel was communicated was through preaching. And so that's why even on the streets, evangelists would go out and they would preach on corners, on top of boxes, and they would just preach and call people to the cause of Christ. But I would say that nowadays that the designers, the videographers, the photographers are the storytellers of the church in a lot more impactful ways than even the preachers are. Because you don't see people downtown on a box preaching, but through the, the medium of video and photography design and storytelling in these, these really interactive visual ways, these, these evangelists are telling the story of the gospel and attracting people to the cause of Christ. And so listen, if you're a designer, yo, you have that evangelistic lean. Come on, I think of Seabell who tells stories through her design. Every time she designs assets for our church, she's telling a story through that design. I think of Shinook. Right? She always seems to be interacting with people who don't know Jesus or who are far from Jesus and bringing them closer home. I was cracking up when we were in CG together last year. She would say whenever a guest comes and she lets them stay at her house, there is one rule. They have to come to church with her on Sunday. Right? I think of Shinook who's, who's bringing people closer to the cause of Christ, bringing them closer home. By the way, these are just my personal diagnoses. I don't know if it's actually true. I just see these things, okay? So don't take it as truth. Just take it with a grain of salt. Now, church is strong on evangelism, and led by evangelists tend to be characterized by a heart for those who don't know Jesus and have a strong emphasis on evangelism, right? These might be the churches that are more seeker-friendly. They're trying to lower the barrier for people entering into church and getting closer to God. In these churches, spirituality is equated with the heart for the lost and telling others about Jesus. And when dominant— the church will feel almost like a recruiting convention. When the evangelistic lean is put above the others, it'll feel like, okay, we're just learning strategy to get people to church. We're just learning recruiting techniques to get people to the cause of Christ. They rely on marketing methodology, charismatic leaders, and will likely be very shallow. And the church will tend to be pushy, opinionated, and aggressive. I don't know if you've been part of ministries or communities where it's all about the mission. Mission, mission, mission. There's no emphasis on community or fostering relational depth or emotional healing or safe place. It's all about advancing the cause of Christ, about winning souls. And it becomes, you, you get burnt out because there's no focus on our health. There's no focus on our depth, on our growth. It's all outward focused. And so, that is the evangelist. Now, the shepherd or the pastor. Now, shepherds nurture and protect. They are the caregivers of the community. They focus on the protection and spiritual maturity of God's flock. Now, these are the ones that create and maintain a healthy community. They cultivate meaningful friendships and relationships. They create atmospheres where people feel welcome and they could feel like they belong. They develop a loving culture and a high EQ culture, a place of family, a belonging, a place of safety, and a place of healing. These are the ones that know all the names and the stories of the people in their immediate care. 
and they pay close attention to their immediate environment. They notice details about people and the state of the community. They could tell when something's off. They could tell when someone walks into the room and something's not right. They could tell when there's relational conflict or tension because their primary concern is the community and the healthy relationships that are being cultivated within it. They're the most likely to notice the vulnerable, the marginalized, the unseen, the forgotten ones. They matter the most to the shepherds. And they have a strong heart for cohesion and unity. They promote the common good. They encourage people in the faith. And they ensure the welfare of the people as well as the broader society in which the community abides. Right? The shepherds are the pastors. They're the spiritual directors. They're the counselors and the therapists. They're the community developers. They're the social workers, the human resource workers. They're the community group leaders. You know, in our church, I think of all the type twos. And just because you're a type two doesn't necessarily mean you're a shepherd. But I think of people like Paulette, who's so good at hosting and facilitating community. I think of the Maureens and even Krista and Alex. I think of Aiden. You know, one of the first conversations I ever had with Aiden was when he was expressing his longing for community that's committed to one another, like an equal level of covenant and commitment for the long haul. And I think Aiden is like a protector. He, he's so protective of covenant community, that commitment, that depth that we long for here. Now, churches led by leaders who are strong on shepherding, they tend to do well at loving each other and caring for the needs of the body, right? We're always asking, how are you doing? Are you okay? Poor baby. Oh my, we want to walk with you. We want to hold your hand. We want to hold you. And spirituality will be strongly communal and relational. But when the shepherding function dominates the others, the community becomes risk averse. They become codependent. They become exclusive, almost click-like. They become overprotective and cautious. And it's like we're so focused on us that we lose sight of the bigger picture that we're not just a family. We're a family on a mission. And so that is the shepherd. And the last one is the teacher. Uh, teachers understand and explain they are communicators of God's truth and wisdom. They help others remain biblically grounded and help the community remain faithful to God's word. I mean, without the teachers, probably most churches would be going off the rails, developing theologies that are not biblical at all. They're concerned with helping people gain insight into how God wants them to see and experience their world. They're excellent explainers and interpreters of scripture, right? They're able to take and unpack scripture that might seem hard to understand and explain it in a meaningful way that is so relevant. They foster a learning culture, a culture where um, there's a lot of curiosity and love for insight. People are just hungry for more knowledge, hungry to learn more, hungry to discover more. They're able to construct digestible, transferable doctrines of faith, meaning they're able to make something that's very complex and hard to understand bite-sized. They long for theological truths and ideas to be translated into practical discipleship and formation. And so mature teachers aren't just about head knowledge. They're about that. They want that knowledge to translate into practical discipleship, into formation, 
They are excellent instructors of the way of Jesus. And one thing I love about teachers, they can't teach what they don't know. And they can't lead where they haven't been. And so they have a real commitment to participation in the ideas they propose. Whatever they're teaching, you know that they're actively participating in it. And so the teachers are teachers. They're the educators. They're the theologians and the authors and writers. They're the philosophers. They're the thinkers. They're the expository preachers. You know, this might be off, but for some reason I think of Vanessa. You know, she's in our community group, and every time I hear her talk, especially when she's talking about scripture, she's able to break down these complex gospel ideas in such a clear and applicable way. It's kind of like you know exactly what scripture is saying, and she expresses exactly how we can make it applicable to our lives. Now, churches with a strong teaching function tend to be well-informed, wise, patient, and committed to discipleship. But like the others, when the function is dominant, the church will likely be an over-intellectual, objective, knowledge-based community where right doctrine is seen to be more important than right doing, right? It's just obey the word of God blindly. Don't take into context our contextual culture. Don't, Don't put any of those factors into play. Let's just do what the Bible says. And such a church is likely to be controlling, manipulative, anxious, and I love this definition, snobby, right? In these teacher-dominated communities, spirituality can easily be equated with listening to sermons and acquiring Bible knowledge as a sign of maturity. But remember when we talked about last week, the goal is not knowing more, it's bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And so, you know, I think of communities that I've been a part of where we learned a lot but we just didn't do much with it. And there's almost a snobbery associated with how much you know. Like, like I can argue so well. I can argue the gospel. I can make all of these points. I can convince you and beat you in a, in a conversation or argument, but there's no love. There's no fruit of the Spirit being birthed. And so we see the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the um, the shepherd and the teacher. Now, some of you in hearing these descriptions, maybe you saw glimpses of yourself. And by the way, if I shouted out your name in each category, it doesn't necessarily mean that's your expression. It's just things that I've noticed. You have to discover that for yourself. But I just wanted to give you a broad overview of each of the expressions of the fivefold ministry. And I hope as I was explaining and teaching this, you were able to see glimpses of your lean, of the expression of your personal ministry. Now, what do we do with all this? Because this is a lot of information. There's three things that I want to challenge you to do today. Number one, first and foremost, discover which of the fivefold gifts you function in. Now, like I said, we actually all function in all of these in some way or another, but there are specific leans or graces to have a dominant function in your life and in your ministry. And so what we've done is we've actually linked an assessment to help you discover yourself. And in this particular assessment, they usually pair your top two and they give really great details about how you function in ministry. And I think it's a great, great tool. This is something that I've used, that Chris has used. It was recommended to us by Pastor Brian and Echo, one of our great mentors. Um, The one about this one is that it's $8 per assessment, but I will vouch for it. I think it's well 
worth it. But if you're balling on a budget, we've also linked a free one that you could find in our notes section or description. And so discover what is your expression of ministry. And you can also read and learn more about this. Um, One book that I want to plug that I've been studying is by Alan Hirsch, who's actually very well known in this particular realm of faith. He talks a lot about the fivefold, and he recently came out with a book called 5Q, Reactivating the Original Intelligence and Capacity of the Body of Christ. And so that's another um, resource that you can tap into to learn more about your expression of ministry. Now, a disclaimer with these assessments, even with this teaching, they're not always accurate. You have to study, pray, and meditate and figure out what feels right for you. And so the first thing is just go on a discovery journey to figuring out what expression of the fivefold ministry you have a grace for. Number two is find a way to express your gift in the local body, at your work, in your household, in the world. Listen, if you function as a shepherd, facilitate community. Reach out to the forgotten, the unseen ones. If you function as a teacher, talk to your pastors about how we could facilitate a culture of curiosity. If you function as a prophet, listen and openly share what you feel like God is doing or saying in our house. And this doesn't need to be in conjunction with the church. I mean, you in your own right have the ability and have the freedom to function in your gift. And you don't have to wait for the church to catch up with your heart. And so create organic ways that you can express the gift that God has given you in the body, but also find ways to express it in your workplace. If you are apostolic in nature, find ways to create new avenues, to create new uh, pathways, to pioneer new ways. If you're a teacher, find ways to um, take these complex ideas that you're studying or learning about in digestible ways. Figure out how we could translate your gift in the context that you're in. And the last one is equip others to participate. Eugene Peterson, he says, each gift is an invitation and provides the means to participate in the work of Jesus. And so there's a two-dimensional response to the fivefold. It's about expressing our gifting, finding ways to function in the ways we've been gifted in the church, at our work, in the world. But it's also about equipping others to do what we've been gifted to do. Listen, you may not be gifted in evangelism, but you can sign up for the outreach set up by those who are. You might not be gifted as a shepherd, but you can learn how to foster and develop community from those who are. And this is why the body is so important. This is how we experience fullness. This is not about now that I know I'm a prophet, I don't need to worry about evangelizing to my coworkers. I don't need to worry about learning and uh, developing a teaching atmosphere. Or now that I know I'm a teacher, I don't need to concern myself with community groups or building relationships or building depth. I just need to worry about teaching. No, it's about experiencing fullness and maturity. It's about figuring out who we are in the body and expressing that in a meaningful and in a powerful way. Now, for Krista and myself, just to give you a little glimpse of how this translates. So um, when I took that test, actually, I got apostolic shepherd. But after talking with some of my mentors, specifically Pastor Brian, and doing a little prayer and self-discovery, I actually discovered that I'm more of an apostolic evangelist. 
And so the apostolic obviously comes out because I'm always looking to innovate and pioneer. I mean, 99 Church is the primary fruit of that apostolic lean. But I never thought that I was much of an evangelist because I'm not going out into the streets and, you know, trying to tell people about Jesus. But one thing about the evangelistic lean is they love to gather. They love to get people into the house. They love to attract the crowds. And I realized that even through my design, I'm telling stories that are trying to draw people in. I can't tell you how many people have just come to church because they said, wow, your design work tells a lot about what you value in your community. And you care about being culturally relevant, about speaking language of our time. And so I'm an apostolic evangelist. Krista is a prophetic shepherd, right? Don't you see that come out? She creates such a safe place of belonging. She's always caring. You know, one thing I love about Krista, when you share prayer requests with her, like, you know, I got this appointment next week that I'm really worried about. First thing she does, she puts it on her calendar and she follows up and checks in on you. How did that appointment go? She remembers the stories and the names and the things that people are going through and the prophetic edge, right? She's listening for the voice of God, figuring out how we respond. That's why I love Krista so justice-oriented because she cares for the heart of God being expressed in our community. And one of the things that was prophesied over Krista and I was that I'm like, and this was prophesied specifically over us at 99. And this person said, Mickey, you're like the house that draws people in, right? You are that home that people just want to flock into the house. They want to be there. But Krista is like the hearth or the fireplace that gets people to stay. And she's like, you're the home and she's the hearth. You're the one that draws people in, but Krista's the one. She's the heartbeat of 99 that actually creates the place where people want to stay. And so we see this translated even in our community. We are trying to tap in and lean into our strengths. But I do want to say this, 99 is incomplete without you. We are imbalanced, asymmetrical without you. We cannot reach maturity without you. We can't experience the fullness of Christ without you. And I want you to know that even though we have leans as your leaders, one of the things that we're committed to doing in this next season of our church's life, in this next year, we as the leaders are committed to figuring out how to activate all of the functions within the fivefold. And so the areas where we're deficient, we want to create balance and symmetry by making space for your expression. But you need to discover who you are. You need to pray about how do I contribute this gift, this expression to my community, to the local church? And what would it look like if 99 were activated in each of these expressions of Jesus's ministry? Can you imagine that we cared, we we valued the apostolic, the pioneering spirit? We're asking God, God, what is new that you're doing? How can we take this gospel? How can we take this faith, this kingdom, and translate it into new, innovative contexts? What if we valued the prophetic and we cared more about what God said, said, God, we want to hear your voice. We want to know what you're doing, what you're saying. We want to know how you're moving, and we want to line up with that. What if we valued the evangelistic lean? What if we said, we don't want to be culturally irrelevant. We want to know what people are talking about in the streets of San Francisco. We want to know what's on people's minds and hearts right now. What are, what are people burning for? What are people concerned with? And how do we get people to connect to this gospel message? How do we draw them in to the house? 
What if we valued the shepherding spirit, the pastoral spirit, what we say, we want to develop a safe, healthy community where people can belong, can feel seen, can feel known, and can grow up in the faith. What if we value the teaching spirit? When we said we want to understand, we want to create a culture of curiosity, a love for wisdom, teaching, understanding, sound doctrine. We don't want to go off the rails. We want to stay connected to the great faith tradition. I think we would experience a new measure of fullness. I think we would experience a new level of maturity, and that's what we're longing for. And so church, let's do it. This week, discover, start the journey of discovering what is your lean? Because ministry isn't just for the pastors. It's not just for the missionaries. It's for every single one of you. And next, how do I express this gift in my local context, in the local church, in my home, in my business, in my workplace? And how do I equip and inspire the people around me to tap into the gift that so easily comes with my lean. I believe we could do it, church. I believe God is doing it, and we are committed to making a church, creating a church, and cultivating an atmosphere where all five of those gifts, all five of the expression of Jesus' ministry would be valued, welcome, and experienced. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, God, would you give us insight into who, you, who we are, into how you've uniquely created each one of us? Would you show us that the unity, the growth, the completeness, the, equip, the equipping, the maturity, and the fullness of the church is at stake here? Would you give us a heart that values discovering what part we play in this body? Would you give us a heart that values the parts that we're deficient in and give us a heart that leans into those who are strength strong where we are weak? I pray that we would be a church that embodies the fullness of the fivefold ministry, of the fivefold gifts. And so begin that journey this week. I pray that you would give us personal insight, wisdom, and revelation into how you've created us into what you've called us to do. And I pray that it would be greatly encouraging. God, and as we conclude this collection on the Holy Ghost, I pray that we would be lifelong committed to walking with the Spirit, to fellowshipping with the Spirit, and to continue cultivating the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. We love you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.